And I believe one of the reasons that Jesus did miracles differently is because he receives us just as we are, but he also works to meet the needs that we have in our lives, the individual needs that we have. Father knows best. He knows what's best for us and how to work in our lives. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at all of John chapter 9. I'm hoping to do this as quickly as I can, 41 verses which is uh, a challenge for me. But it is one continual event that John felt was so important that he dedicated this much space to this one miracle in Scripture. And I'll keep reading this verse as we go through the Gospel of John this year. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, these verses, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John only recorded seven miracles. He said there were many others. Later on, he would write in his gospel, he would write, I suppose if everything about Jesus would be written, all the volumes of the books in the world could not contain it. He was selective, and this is miracle number seven, and he gave it a number of space. It was a letter. It didn't have verse marks. He didn't have chapter nine and decided I'll have 41 verses. Those chapters and verses came later to help us to kind of find our place in scripture, but he did dedicate quite a bit to miracle number six, as he will dedicate in a few weeks. We'll learn about miracle number seven. He dedicates a lot of these two miracles, and I want to take them as a whole. It's describing an event of the healing of a man born blind, and the man himself will later say that in all of history, there's been no report of anyone being born blind having sight again. So this was indeed a great miracle. So today we're going to look at a message that I titled, One Thing I Know, from John 9, verses 1 through 41. And we're going to see in verses 1 through 12, a man born blind. Verses 13 through 34, a seen man's testimony. And 35 through 41, belief or unbelief. Now, one of the ways that I can uh, speed up 
this teaching is not by reading the whole context first, which is something I like to do, and then break it down, but I'm going to read portions of it as we go. That will help us kind of navigate this a little quicker than we might if I would take the time to read the context of each section. So let's begin in prayer and ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning. And Father, I thank you for your word you've given us. And I thank you, Lord, for the truths that are contained in it. And I was sharing, Lord, last night with someone about what I was going to be teaching on today. And this individual did not recollect this story, this event that John gave us in Scripture. And Father, I just pray that if we fail to remember these things, you'll just help us to be fresh and new to us then. Or perhaps, Lord, it is a brand new teaching, and Lord, just let it come alive. Or Lord, maybe it's something that we know very well. Lord, breathe your living spirit into our hearts that we might receive that which the Spirit desires to teach us this day, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we find in the beginning a misguided theology, and, and we read in verses 1 through 5, and it sets up the whole event. Now Jesus passed by, and he saw a blind man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day and the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Last month's memory verse, John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But a misguided theology, the disciples' tradition had taught them that being born with physical disabilities or born with an illness, that it resulted from a sin, either from the parents or even the child. So that is amazing to me, because if a child is born with a disability, like being born blind, that meant the disciples was actually asking, did this baby in the womb of his mother sin against you in some way that you caused him to be born blind? Now we think of a child being born that that is the purest sense of innocence that we can have. It's only a few months later as they begin to talk, several months maybe, but when no gets into their vocabulary and words like mine gets into the vocabulary that we realize that they too have inherited a sin nature like the rest of us. But tradition taught that these physical disabilities or illnesses resulted from sin. Now it's true that sickness and death came as a result of the fall, but not every illness is a result of sin. In fact, this blind man, his blindness was in order that Jesus would say that the works of God should be revealed in him, that God had a divine purpose to reveal the works of God in this man's life, but also in many people's lives. Those of that day who've seen the great miracle, but also we're still talking about it nearly 2,000 years later, that the works of God should be revealed in him. In John eleven four, again, 
Jesus would say in the seventh miracle, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so even in the seventh miracle, as we know, Lazarus was sick unto death and he would die and be raised back to life. But Jesus said, it was that the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. We just need to remember that God can take our disabilities and he can use them for his glory. But we live in a day and age, and this is uh, from November of 2017, an article that was titled Designer Babies. Engineering the perfect baby, genetic scientists believe that in the next few decades, we might be able to design our future babies to choose the features we want our children to have before they are born. In addition, we might be able to have our unborn child's genes tested to detect any genetic disorder and have the doctors modify a defect gene and even replace it to make sure our child is born disease-free. Now, I know that we want all of our children to be born in great health, and this is very attractive in that sense. You want your baby to be healthy. But may we never forget that God can use disability, God can use illness, and use them for his glory. If it wasn't for my dad's stroke, he may have never surrendered to the ministry. When he had the stroke, he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was a, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon in his church. But it was in the course of the surgery and prepping for that surgery and six months stay in the hospital back in the pioneer days of heart surgery that he surrendered his life to the ministry. And I believe it had everything to do with this illness that he had that caused him to cry out to God and it changed our family's life from that day forward. But Jesus also said that the night is coming and I must work while it is day. And he's really talking about this limited time before his crucifixion here. He's, we're down to less than six months before his crucifixion. And he was going to continue to shine his life through his teaching, uh, through his miracles, through his very life himself. But we do know that the greatest of these works would be his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus said in John 8, 12, May's memory verse, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so, after the disciples asked Jesus about this in verses 6 and 7, we find Jesus confronting the blind man. And we find this step of faith in verses 6 and 7. It reads, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, he made some clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seen. Now Jesus never seemed to heal anybody in the same way. People might have the same issue. They, several times we find Jesus in scripture heal people who are blind. This is the only time we find that he spat on the ground, that he took the dust, made some clay out of it, and put it on the eyes and told the man to go wash at the pool that is called scent. And I believe one of the reasons that Jesus 
did miracles differently is because he receives us just as we are, but he also works to meet the needs that we have in our lives, the individual needs that we have. In Philippians 2.13, it tells us, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Father knows best. He knows what's best for us and how to work in our lives. But Jesus, as we said, he spat on the ground. He made this clay. He anointed his eyes. He, go, he told him to go and to wash in the pool of Salome. And it reminds me of a man who, in the days of Elijah, had leprosy. And he came, Naaman, from another country, not an Israeli, but he heard that Elijah had the capability of healing people who were sick. And he came that he might be healed. And Elijah initially didn't respond to him at all. And finally, he sent a messenger to come out and say to him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. And Naaman was furious. He went away. He left. He said, man, the rivers that are in my country are better than the Jordan. We went to the Jordan in 2004, and I was expecting a little more than a muddy creek to be baptized in. It was a big creek, but it didn't look much more than a, a muddy creek. I grew up next to a creek as a kid, and uh, I know what those muddy waters look like. That's what the Jordan looked like. So I kind of understand. You want me to get in that dirty water to be washed and be cleaned? And it was his servant that spoke to him and said, Master, if he would have asked you to have done some great work, you would have done it. But all he asked you to do is to go wash and to be clean. And, and he was obedient to the command and his flesh was restored as a little child and he was clean. All the Lord asks out of us is obedience. You know, obedience to God is key when it comes to walking in faith. Sometimes we may not see the end or the end objective that the Lord has for our lives, but it's the walk of faith that reveals those things to us. So a man called Jesus, verses 8 through 12, we see, therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So we see that there's a lot of confusion. He, he was a man born blind. He had sat begging, I would imagine, for a number of years in Jerusalem. And suddenly he comes back walking and seeing. And there was a bit of confusion concerning this once blind man. Some knew that it was him, while others were not so sure. And I believe perhaps one of the reasons those who recognized him, maybe they had been those who had helped him in the past. You know how it is when you head down into Chicago. Lily and I were there uh, a few weeks ago, and there are people begging on the streets. And sometimes, you know, you just 
You don't want to make eye contact with them. You see them, but you're not looking at them. You're trying to avoid them. You're walking by them. And, and sometimes, you know, we were there at night and it actually went to a third day concert, their last one, boo-hoo. We were coming back late. It was like 1130 at night and we were walking to our hotel. It wasn't too far away, but it's Chicago. You never know what's going to happen in Chicago. So we just wanted to make sure that we made it from the theater to the hotel safely. But you know how it is. You know, you walk by people who have need, and if you don't directly help them or take time to minister to them, you really don't know them. And perhaps it was those who recognized him had helped in times past. They knew the man. They recognized who he was, while the others were those, like many of us, who quickly walked by on the streets. And the Bible reminds us, though, in Hebrews 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And I'm not saying to you that I do not help others in times of need. I just don't always do it, and I'm very selective sometimes. Although the once blind man had not seen Jesus, here's the thing. He was able to share his story, how he was healed. He told them exactly what happened. He made some clay. He didn't tell him he left out the spitting on the ground. I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to let him know how the clay was formed. But he made some clay. He anointed my eyes. He told me to go wash and what pool to go wash at. And I washed and I received my sight. Now, the blind man could have thought, you know, this other pool is closer. It'd be easier for me to get to. But Jesus directed him to a specific place, like Naaman. He was directed to the Jordan River, although there were cleaner rivers. This man was directed to a specific place, and as he walked in obedience, he gained his sight. And although he, he hadn't seen Jesus, he only heard his voice, he knew the work of Jesus in his life, and it was something that he was able to share with others. And this is something we can do. We can tell others the work of Jesus in our life. You know, the Bible reminds us in Psalm 105.1 to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make known his deeds among the peoples. And we can let others know. We may not know everything about Jesus, but we each, I believe, have a story to tell. We can share our story with others. Next, we see in what I have deemed part two, a seeing man's testimony. And we're going to go through verses 13 through 34 here, pick up the majority of the text. First, we look at verses 13 through 17, formerly blind. So they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes and he said, he is a prophet. So the formerly blind man, he's making big news in Jerusalem now. It's the news of the day. And and they bring him to the religious rulers. We can imagine the Sanhedrin court. Now here's a man who had never seen in his life and suddenly 
He's in front of, if it's the Sanhedrin court, there's 70 men there plus the high priest. We don't know if that was uh, totally true, but he is before the religious rulers and the Pharisees here. So there's a number of important people in front of him, the leaders, especially the religious leaders of their community. And it made big news as he came. And here we discover that Jesus not only healed the man, but he did so on the Sabbath day. So the religious rulers saying that this isn't a man of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. He did two works. First, he made clay, even though how much was it? You spit on the ground. You're not going to get a lot of clay out of that. I wouldn't at least. And you anoint somebody's eyes. But it was the making of the clay that was prohibited on the Sabbath day, but also healing. And I've mentioned this a number of times that healing, acts of healing were prohibited on the Sabbath day. You could save life if someone had a bad wound, a cut. You could wrap it in bandages, could wrap it up, try to keep it from bleeding, but you wouldn't stitch it up, not until the Sabbath was over. Acts of healing was prohibited. And so here it is. John gives us the second Sabbath day healing. The first one in John chapter 5 where Jesus healed a man who had been lame for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. And now this man who was blind had been born blind. Two Sabbath day healings. And there was a lot of contention between Jesus and the religious rulers about works on the Sabbath. In John 7, Jesus reveals a technicality of the law, though, that in the law and God's commandments, there is a conflict. According to Jewish tradition, there is a conflict of the Sabbath day versus a male child being circumcised on the eighth day if the baby is born in such that the eighth day falls on a Sabbath day, circumcision almost always wins. Only if the child is ill or sick will they wait. Circumcision always overrules the Sabbath day. And circumcision is a work that is performed on the Sabbath day. In chapter 7, he showed them their hypocrisy, the conflict between these two laws. Six times the religious rulers contended with Jesus about working on the Sabbath, and sadly, their man-made traditions made acts of healing on the Sabbath unlawful. In Mark 7, 9, he said, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you might keep your traditions. And so the religious rulers asked this once blind man, What do you say about him? He healed you. What do you say? And he responded, He's a prophet. He's a prophet of God. I love it as we see this once blind man being interrogated, really, by the religious rulers who ask questions from others. We see his faith develop and grow. How would he know that he is a prophet of God? Well, to him, I believe it was just a logical thing that this man did a great work, a healing that took place. So thus, he must be a prophet of God. Now, the woman at the well said of Jesus in John four nineteen, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
She said the very same thing, that he is a prophet. And then after the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, 14, the people saw this miracle and they said, truly, he is the prophet who has come among us. You know, being a prophet connects Jesus as a man of God. Being the prophet connects Jesus to a messianic prophecy concerning him by Moses, who said in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for us a prophet like me from the midst of your brethren, him you shall hear. Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up to them a prophet like you from among their brethren. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This prophet refers to the coming Messiah. And we see that as challenges came against him, the faith of this formerly blind man, it continued to grow. Father, we thank you for your word and for the encouragement of it. And I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful account that's given to us in John's gospel. And if there are those, Lord, who have never accepted you as Savior, Father, I pray that perhaps this will be that day that they'll receive you as their Savior. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.